this morning as we look to a very familiar passage in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I actually want to start the last verse of chapter 7, which is verse 53 this morning. And the passage of Scripture really pivots on two words, sin and Savior, and how that is handled. Because you have a group of people who all they can see is their sin and they're stuck there. And they're not at a point to be set free from that. Then there is another person whose sin becomes obvious to all and is disgraced in the situation. But she finds the Savior instead of running from the Savior, instead of trying to hurt the Savior as the other group tried. And so with that in mind, let's uh, open our Bibles to Matthew, actually chapter 7, <laughs> and read on to the uh, last verse of chapter 7 to verse 11, chapter 8. And if you'll stand in God's honor. Oh, and by the way, I, it's good to see James as he's come to, to get his mom as they're headed down to Florida for a wedding in the near future here. So what a great blessing for them. It's so good to see you, James. They replied, wait, then each went to his own home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we... All are in trouble before a holy God. And yet this woman who was, well, nailed publicly with sin. Condemnation everywhere around her. But the one that mattered did not condemn her. And we're grateful for those of us who have already met Jesus that in one sense that's our story. Maybe not that sin, but certainly we needed help. We needed to be rescued because of the sin we are guilty of. Thank you for Jesus. Lord. Just guide us in this time that remains. Thank you for ministering to us so far. Because you're the real audience. We're here, Lord. Give praise to you. Worship to you. Make gratitude to you. Because without you... Where else?
else would we go? So just speak to us in this time that remains. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, as we open up this passage, the first point I want to look at here is that Jesus is meek. And, and I go back here to that last verse. Then each went to his own home. Well, I mean, isn't that what we do after all? Uh, after a busy day of handling responsibilities at work and other issues that have to be handled, we begin to think as the day draws to a close, man, I just want to go home. I just want to get something to eat. I want to sit in my comfortable location, whether it's one of those chairs where I can, you know, extend and my legs can just ah, lay back in that chair and enjoy that and watch a TV show or, or just talk to Cindy. And, and then, at the end of the day, what awaits me, that glorious place called my bed that I can just get in and relax and go to sleep, hopefully. My house, my bed, my home. And it's said here that those who were at this Feast of Tabernacles, it was at this point that they headed to that natural destination, the place where they felt safe, their home. But that's not where Jesus went. Why? Because he didn't have a home like the rest of them. It says Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. He headed to a place that we know later on in his ministry as it came close for him to go to the cross. He went to the Mount of Olives, specifically to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and there he went to pray, and, and we know about that struggle. So this place was a beautiful place to him. It was a place that he liked to go to. But he didn't have a home like the rest of these people. He didn't have a place specifically that he could go to that was safe and that was secure. It's been a couple of years ago now, but I remember our son Daniel came by the house, and he said that he was driving down the road. He saw this couple who looked to be homeless. It's kind of cold outside. So he stopped, he parked, he popped the trunk, he reached in the back and he found a blanket and he went over to the couple and he handed them a blanket and said, I hope this helps. And then he left. He told me that story. Of course, I was, I was proud of him that he thought, hey, I've got a blanket back here I'm not using and somebody else here can use it. Uh, one day, there was a family that was in need, and um, they were about to lose uh, where the place they were staying and home that they were in. They were going to be homeless. And so I was trying to call. I was trying to help. I was trying to say, well, you know, is there a place they can go? And so I called United Way, and uh, it, it was comforting to me to hear on the other end the voice of somebody I knew, Andrea Birchfield, whose husband is a pastor in Metaview, and I talked to Andrea, and she told me a story that just kind of ripped my heart out. It was about a lady who did not like where she lived. And she would call every day, and she would say, I need another place to live. I need somewhere else to go. And Andrea would tell her, there is no place to go. Don't leave where you are, because if you leave, you'll be homeless. You won't have a place to go. And yet, that is exactly what happened. And this lady ended up homeless. Jesus, amazingly enough, chose to be homeless. 
He exhibited humility in a way that is hard for us to certainly grasp. The one who was at a place of no struggle, he was worshipped in heaven. Angels declaring their praise to him. The one who is the center of all glory and of the universe who had been in that constant relationship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet that would change in the sense that the Son now would leave that place of eternity and He would step into human form. Listen to how Paul describes it in Philippians 2. He says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he left the place that was perfect and came to this place that's not perfect because we're here to mess it up, right? But he came here, human likeness, flesh, fully God, fully man, knowing our struggle. And when he entered this world in human form, he didn't check into the Jerusalem hospital and get a room that was covered in gold and fancy bed sheets and getting the first-rate medical care and attendance. We know he actually was born in a place where he was placed in a feeding trough. A humble start for one who deserved all glory. As a matter of fact, even uh, when you look at his followers, as they made a decision to follow him, he, it was declared to them, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And this was, this was also true at his death. He didn't have a tomb. He didn't have a place to be buried. As a matter of fact, he was given a borrowed tomb. Of course, it worked out pretty good since he didn't need it except for a weekend. <laughs> Rising from the dead and conquering death. And then when it came time for his ministry, as we see here in our text, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. He didn't try to impress the people who came to hear him speak. It wasn't seeker-sensitive in the sense that we're going to make sure that the crowd is fully comfortable and that they can connect to what I have to say. We want to make sure that they have the proper setting because we want to reach the community. Je Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't take his clothes from drab to fab to make sure that he was noticed, looking all cool and ready to make an impression. Uh, he just sat down and began to teach. I mean, think about it. He could have floated about five feet up in the air, and that would have drew some attention. Maybe we should listen to this guy. But that's not what he did. It reminds me of Mark 10, verse 45, that tells us, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, meekness is not weakness. It's actually strength under perfect control. And, and that was our God. All powerful, it came in an humble fashion. If you drop down to verse 20 of this chapter, 
you, you discover the, the setting of this account. It tells us he spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Now, we know from the layout of the temple, the place where the offerings were collected was in the court of women. You see, there, there were different courts, and the women were allowed in a specific place. And I mean, that makes sense, because he's about to have an encounter with a woman who is accused of her sin publicly. And that brings us to the strategic approach of Jesus. Uh, look what we learn here, uh, beginning at verse 3. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman called in adultery. Man, how, how horrendous. Here's Jesus. He's beginning to teach. He's, he's, he's sat down. And, and suddenly, they bring this woman. They drag her publicly where Jesus is. And what do they do? They accuse her of being in an adulterous place, situation. How scared she must have been. How totally humiliated and discredited this woman. And yet I dare say they didn't care about her. This was really not about her. She was a pawn in their game. What did they really want to do? They wanted to take out Jesus. They wanted to discredit Jesus. They wanted to stop his influence and shut him up. <laughs> Matter of fact, we learn this as we go on the text. It tells us they made her stand before the group and said to the teacher. Why? Why did they do this? Verse 6. They were using this as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You see, we read in chapter 7 that they sent the temple police to arrest Jesus. They didn't arrest him. If you remember in the last chapter, we learned they didn't arrest him. They came back. They said, man, when we heard this guy speak, we couldn't arrest him. He spoke like no one we'd ever heard before. We knew he was telling the truth. He wasn't guilty of a crime that deserved arrest. So they decided, okay, uh, that didn't work. So we have to come up with plan B. We have to discredit him. So they prepared a trap that obviously they had spent a great deal of time planning and thinking about. Notice, uh, notice the trap, the sophisticated trap as he goes on. He says, uh, as, these, as this woman is placed before the group, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, here's the, the trap. The trap is, the law clearly said in Leviticus 20 that if a man and a woman are caught in an adulterous situation, that they are to be stoned. They are to be executed. God was very big on the importance of marriage in the family and fidelity and being faithful to one another. That was very important to him. And, of course, there is a problem here, right? Where's the guy? 
I mean, you have the woman who has been brought forth to be accused, but the guy is nowhere to be found. They were trying to trap Jesus into saying, you know what Moses had written, you know what is in the scriptures, that in this situation, uh, she is to be stoned. And yet, here's the other dilemma. The other dilemma is the Romans who had taken over the land prevented them from committing capital punishment. Unless they had the permission of the Romans, which they could not get, they were not allowed to take someone else's life. So here's the thing. We either discredit Jesus by saying he doesn't really believe the Scriptures. He's not really a man of God. Or we're going to point out the fact he's broken Roman law and he deserves to be arrested by them. They had that smirk, I believe, when they planned this. That either way, we're going to take Jesus out. But Jesus didn't play their game. It's interesting here, as we look in the scriptures here, how strategic Jesus is. It says in uh, the scripture here that they kept on questioning him. Verse 7. They kept on questioning him. They wouldn't stop. They kept trying to get him to take the bait. To, to fall for their trap. But he didn't play that game. Instead, he bent down and he did something totally unexpected. With his finger, he began to write in the sand. Now, what did he write in the sand? Let me give you my best scholastic answer from study. And from belief, I have no clue. <laughs> because we are not told what he wrote. But there is a clue in the scripture itself. And it is the word that is used that he wrote. The word wrote. It literally is two words combined that means to write something against someone. And it could even be translated to write a record or accusation against. So I'm going to use a little sanctified imagination. Like I said, I don't have the answer to this, but this is a possibility since it means to write something against. Maybe Jesus, as he heard them trying to entrap him, sat down and began to write in the sand names of the accusers. And beside those names the name of someone that they had sinned against. Maybe some women that they had committed adultery with. Don't know. But he's writing something in the sand, possibly an accusation, and the people are beginning to look, and his accusers keep saying, so which is it, Jesus? Which is it? Do we stone her or do we not? And Jesus just keeps writing, and they keep looking, Oh, this is interesting. Jeremiah 17, 13. Um, Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Uh, could these people possibly be part of that prophecy? Their names are written because they have forsaken the Lord. They're trying to carry out a plan. So people don't hear Jesus so people don't come to Jesus, so they don't discover how their thirst can be quenched, where, where the living water is there, and they won't 
people to miss Jesus. They want this woman to miss Jesus. They don't care. They, they're ready, I believe. I believe they got their rocks and they're ready to pelt those rocks at this lady and, and take her life because they're, man, their passion was not to know God, but to stop God. Give that a thought, how crazy that is. Let's go on in our text. It says, when they kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He never did answer their question. But he started to write again. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The elder ones first until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. In the midst of, of the idea of to write is to make an accusation against is also a picture there in the verbiage not only of the actual act, but of the desire of the act. In other words, it also possibly could have been not just the name of the accusers, the names of the accusers, and a person that they had sinned against, but it could be the desire of what they wanted to do. Maybe they hadn't had an affair with a woman whose name was listed beside their name, but maybe they had wanted to. Maybe they... They were burning inside. If only I could have this woman, my life would be oh so much better. I deserve this. Maybe it hadn't happened, but maybe it was the desire. R regardless of whether it happened or whether it didn't happen, as the people were confronted with their own sinfulness, they left. And I love it because the scripture says it started with the oldest. Do you know why I think it started with the oldest? Because, man, the longer you've been around here, the more chances are you've already screwed it up. More opportunity, <laughs> right? So they left. The beautiful strategy of Jesus Christ. And then it leads us to the fact that he is merciful. Man, I love it in our text as Jesus confronts this woman who, who has been condemned, she's, she's been accused, she's been written off, she's been caught in her sin. I know she's part of a trap, but there's nothing to lead me to believe that she wasn't really guilty of that. But Jesus wasn't trying to beat her while she's down. I love his response to her. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up, asked her. He moved from looking at the ground to looking in her eyes. Speaking to her personally. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? You know, a couple of things here uh, that caught my eye. First is the fact that Jesus waited till everybody else had left. I think when hard words need to be said, our God's not about drawing a crowd to be part of dealing with that. 
He deals with us one at a time. He doesn't want the rest of Kingsway to know my sinfulness in detail. But he does want me to know he knows. Secondly, uh, although in our culture when we hear woman, we're thinking woman like it's, you know, something that's rude. But in that culture, it's really a sign of respect. Remember at the wedding when he turned the water into wine, he, when he talked to his mom, he said woman. And it was a sign of respect. And I think as he spoke to her, a, a woman who had been beat down, who had been publicly disgraced, he's basically saying to her, you matter to me. You are special. Yes, you messed up, but it's not over for you because I'm here. Made, made all, the, all the difference for her. Made all the difference. And I love the fact that he didn't try to belittle the sin. He didn't call it a hang-up or a disease or an alternate lifestyle or a mistake. He honestly said sin which is what separates us from God, which is what gets in the way of our relationships with Him and with one another. So he spoke to her out of love, honestly. But he didn't speak in condemnation. He said, I want to forgive you. I want to love you. I want to right your wrong. Well, back in the Stone Ages, of when I was a teenager... <laughs> There was a, Christ, uh, a Christian singer by the name of Benny Hester. And he had a song that I really loved. I, back in those days, we had vinyl record players. and I'd listen. That's made a comeback. So now I probably can't say to some of the people under 40 that they don't know what a record player is because now it's popular again, right? But anyway, um, the song was entitled When God Ran. I want to just read to you uh, the words of the song. Almighty God, the great I am, immovable rock, omnipotent, powerful, awesome Lord, victorious warrior, commanding king of kings, mighty conqueror, and the only time, the only time I ever saw him run was when he ran to me, took me in his arms, held my head to his chest, said, my son's come home again, lifted my face, wiped the tears from my eyes with forgiveness in his voice. He said, son, do you know I still love you? It caught me by surprise when God ran. Isn't that good? Jesus didn't run from her. He ran to her. He didn't write her off. He wrote her in in his great love. And I bet she was surprised because what did she expect? She expected him to condemn her because she was guilty. He knew she was guilty. He didn't give her what she deserved. He gave her what she needed. And that's the story of Jesus, guys. We're all guilty. That's not the point. We've all messed up. The point is God loves us too much to stay in heaven. And he came down here. He took on human form. He knows what it's like to be human, although he is God. And he did all that leading to the cross because he loves us. He ran to us. 
what he did. And he gave a command to her uh, <laughs> as we get near the end of this message. He says, uh, Has no one condemned you, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. He doesn't say to her, uh, you know, you really need to quit doing this kind of stuff. Because you're going to get caught again. So try to cut back, okay? Let, let's do it in increments. I know it's tough. Maybe for the first week, just try to drop it by 5%. You know? And, 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 and we'll just move it on up. 10%, 20%. Until finally, man, you're doing much better, honey. And you're at least 50-50, okay? He didn't do any of that. Why? Because he knew... He is almighty, all-powerful God. And He could give her the power to face those temptations and redirect them to the true source of love, Himself. That's the person, that's the power, that's, that's the awesomeness of Jesus Christ who changes us as we trust Him and as we follow and love Him. Romans 6 begins by saying, What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may increase? By no means. How shall we who died to sin, live any longer in it. Man, it's the chance for a do-over. I don't want to chase what is ultimately going to hurt me just because it looks good. I want the one who loves me to give me hope. Now, I, I, as I close this out, uh, three points here quickly. All, all us preachers got to get three points in there one day or another, right? Number one, I want you to notice how sinners treat sinners was brutal they dragged her out into the crowd they accused her of her sin pointed it out picked up stones and were ready to kill her oh man sinners do not treat sinners nicely secondly uh, oh well let me use this little illustration here it doesn't look good on us to treat sinners in that fashion, does it? There was a guy, he's driving through the woods. He ran over a skunk, but he didn't realize it. He just knew there was a stink in the car. A stink in the car. I'm country here. I'm frying now. Well, I can't. I am country. What am I frying? Okay, I'll quit that. Uh, so he keeps going down the road, but he still continues to smell the skunk. So about 30 miles later, he says, man, this whole state stinks. Skunky. So finally, he, he gets to the place where he stops. I still smell that skunk. This is the stinkiest place I've ever seen. His problem was not where he was. It was who he was. He had been covered in stink because of the car. Oh, man. When we begin to understand, when we see the people around us where they've sinned and where they've hurt other people and we want to attack them, we need to be brought back to the cross. We need to be reminded of the fact that as they are, we once were. If, if not for the mercy and the grace of God, if not for His kindness, I would still be in that place of no hope, doing things that just hurt me and everybody around me. But I don't have to continue to live in the stink because He will clean me. He will take my sins that are red as crimson and make them white as snow. He will provide a purity that He alone can 
provide. And that takes us out of the stone throwing business pretty quickly. We need to catch hold of that truth, doesn't it? Okay, secondly, notice how the law treats sinners. Scripture says the soul that sins shall surely die. Now, when you try to please God simply by obeying the rules and following the law, you discover soon enough, I can't keep all the rules. So I'm doomed. As a matter of fact, my favorite illustration of the law, well, years ago I heard Tony Evans. Man, he, he, he's quite the preacher if you've heard Tony. But he said, the law, he's a black guy, he said, the law is nothing but a mirror. The mirror shows you what you really look like. But the mirror in and of itself can't change what you look like. He said, man, I might have some dirty teeth, take my hairbrush, put toothpaste on it, and get to work. Trying to make sure I can adequately clean my mouth and get rid of my bad breath. Haliartosis, whatever. Or I could work gratefully on my hair, much harder now than it used to be. It doesn't want to cooperate as it used to. Uh, to change my appearance. But I can't take the mirror off of the wall, start combing my hair or brushing my teeth. That's not going to work. All it does is show me my condition, show me my appearance, but it can't correct that appearance. That's the law. Our hope is not in the law. But that leads us to the third point, and hallelujah, man, <laughs> how Jesus treats sinners. Notice in our text, neither do I condemn you, Go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. Romans 8, 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, how, how is that possible? How can there be no condemnation? How, how can my sins be wiped away? How can I be forgiven? If I'm guilty, I, I have to pay the price, right? That's the amazing thing about the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh man, what I deserve, the penalty I deserve for the, my crimes, Jesus paid for. Listen to, this is Psalm 8510. I love these words of the psalmist. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Love and faithfulness meet together. God is love. Jesus is love. If you want to see what love is like, Love is not always nice, nice, because sometimes love has to be tough. But if you really want to see love, start reading in the Gospels about Jesus, and you'll see love personified. Love, Jesus. But he's also righteous. He is without sin. And the verse tells us, love and faithfulness meet together. He was completely faithful. Although he's righteous, although he lived in a, a place of sinners, He was faithful to head to the one place he didn't deserve, an old rugged cross. He didn't deserve that. He didn't have to do that. He's love. He's not sin. He's not hate. He, he, he doesn't deserve to go to the cross, but he came and he was faithful to the cause for which he came. Why, why did he come? He came for one distinct purpose. It tells us in Luke 19.10, to save sinners. To rescue us who had no rescue. That was his job. That was his purpose. That is why he came. And amazingly enough, perfect love, love, 
his perfect faithfulness headed directly to the cross. He was in the garden. We talked about the garden of Gethsemane earlier where he prayed, Lord, not my will but yours be done. He continued to be faithful until he was beaten, until he carried his own cross, nailed to the cross, died upon that cross. It was his faithfulness. Love and faithfulness meet together. And the last part, righteousness and peace kiss each other. What happened? It was the horrible tragedy and crisis of the cross where righteousness the one without sin brought real peace it says they kiss each other in other words the righteousness i don't have becomes my righteousness because of the kiss of christ that was on that old tree where he died peace was provided and guys, that kiss is available really for anyone, for all of us. God loves everyone just the same with all of his heart. And he invites us to come and to discover love, the love of Christ. And righteousness that we can achieve, but that we can receive. And so as part of the invitation, I want to encourage you to come. God has called you to receive that love and to follow Him and um, to just be a part of Him and His community. That's what we are meant to be, His community of His people as He changes us and works in us. Um, that's how He treats sinners. Provides peace. I close with a I, was, I, I started looking up, what is the most expensive autograph out there? And here's what I discovered. Uh, it was the autograph of George Washington. He had signed his own personal copy of the Constitution, Bill of Rights, and the First Congress, all contained in one book. And on the first page of that book, he signed it. And Bookout, who was a board member of the Vernon Ladies Association, which is a nonprofit organization responsible for handling his Washington, Washington's Virginia estate. That book sold at auction for a whopping $9.8 million because of the worth, in someone's sight, of George Washington's original signature. But I dare say there is a signature far more valuable. When Jesus wrote in that sand, or that dirt, um, with his finger, that looked like condemnation. But the truth is, when she came before Jesus, and she really saw Jesus, she discovered it never really was condemnation. But it was his signature saying, forgiven. His signature saying, new start. Second chance. Now you can be who you're meant to be. You can move forward. The power of Christ. If you're listening and not here, person, that can be yours. Trust Him, follow Him, turn to Him. Um, if not at Kingsway, find somewhere where you can be part of the community of God in, in some church and connected. Um, and, and of course, God leads you come here. That, that together, we can do this thing called following Jesus with His help.
Let's, let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, for your wonderful word. And Lord, I thank you that you know us. You really know us. And yet you run to us, not away from us. Oh, God, thank you for running to Calvary. <laughs> for me, for all of us. Father, we don't want to live in the stank. We want to let you clean us and take us to share with others where you can get cleaned up. Where you can find that new start in Christ. So, Lord, um, in this time, it's really a sacred time that we call response or invitation. If you've spoken, may we come to the altar, pour our hearts out in prayer. May we share publicly something you're doing in our lives. Maybe we need to come forward and say, I am ready to say yes to Jesus. And I want to confirm that by saying to the church family, I love him. I'll follow him. I'm ready. Oh, how great that would be for anyone who's heard that voice of the Spirit of God and responded. That's just what we need, Lord. Uh, maybe to be baptized. The voice has already been heard, but that first step of obedience, baptism, hasn't yet been carried out. And what a great time for that to occur. This, uh, so, I, Lord, it's your time. <laughs> we give it to you. In Christ's name we pray.